Colossians chapter 3 in your Bibles tonight. Colossians chapter 3. I'll be looking at the first four verses here. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. In a sermon that I've titled, Remain Grounded. Remain Grounded. Colossians chapter 3. And in a moment we'll read verses 1 through 4. Colossians chapter 3. Laura Ling and Yuna Lee knew they were taking a great risk when they went to the border region uh, between China and North Korea back in 2008 to film an investigative report on human trafficking. Ling had previously produced a television documentary on the underground church in China and was working in conjunction with a Christian agency that was from South Korea. The women were eventually captured, they were tried, and they were convicted of what was titled a grave crime against the regime of Kim Jong-il. On the same day that the journalists were sentenced to 12 years at hard labor, the government threatened the world with a merciless, offensive means to deal a just retaliatory strike to those who touch the country's dignity and sovereignty even a bit. This rhetoric is couched in the context of UN Secretary Council discussions about stronger new sanctions against North Korea for their nuclear test and their barrage of rocket tests. Two days before the women were sentenced, the Voice of the Martyrs organization received a threat via t- uh, fax from North Korea, which read, something very bad will happen to you if the ministry continues its weekly outreach into the communist nation with faxed messages of Christ's love. Following Christ in North Korea is considered to be an equal crime as a traitor against the government, where only the worship of the president is permitted. North Korea has the distinction of holding the number one spot on Open Doors World Watch list for nearly 20 straight years. And in case you don't know, this list contains the names of the 50 countries in the world where Christians are most severely persecuted for their faith. And again, North Korea tops that list. It has recently been estimated that there are over 400,000 Christians who risk their lives to gather in secret worship and they're in uh, North Korea alone. It is believed that around 10% of those believers are currently incarcerated in North Korea's notoriously cruel prison camps. And as severe as the persecution of believers in North Korea and those 49 other countries that make up that list are, we have seen even things here in the U.S. escalate. Now here in America, we will probably never come close to experiencing the level of persecution that believers face in other parts of the world. But there is a new hostility, there is a new intolerance that is directed towards believers that in this once Christian nation. As we see this growing hostility, it really shouldn't surprise us that much as Christians today. We're told in 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, Yea, and all that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. More than ever, we need to remain grounded in our faith in Christ, or we'll quickly become discouraged by all the things that we see happening around us, whether we're here in America or in North Korea or in the other 49 states where the hostility towards Christians is the most severe. 
As Paul was writing here in Colossians chapter 3 to the believers there in Colossae, they were dealing with some similar issues to things that we might be dealing with today. And he was encouraging them, encouraging them to remain steadfast in their faith and really double down in their worship and their devotion to God. He reminded them that their focus needed to always be on God because the days were growing increasingly evil and the world was working extra hard to remove God from the picture altogether. With the uncertainty of life all around us, the craziness of this world, it is important for us to remember what our focus, especially as believers, ought to be in this life. Life on earth is not about self-glorification, but it's about Christ's glorification. That happens when we set our sights on those things of eternal value. Now, that can be extremely difficult, uh, especially this time of year, when the emphasis all around us is pushing us towards materialism and self-pleasure. It is so easy to get caught up in the commercialism of what we refer to as the holiday season and focus our attention on gifts and on experiences and other things that bring us some momentary happiness and pleasure rather than that which is truly important that offers us eternal value. Now, by no means am I suggesting that you shouldn't go and buy gifts, that you shouldn't celebrate, that you shouldn't do things that only offer temporary uh, satisfaction, but in all those things, don't let those things take the place of what this season is really all about. Christ has given us all these things and all these experiences for our enjoyment, but the intention was never for us to be so engrossed in the gifts that we actually lose sight of the giver. So follow along in your Bibles as we look at Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 4 as we see the importance of believers remaining grounded. He says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now, as much as these words were written to believers in Colossae, they're applicable to us as well here in 2022. Some circumstances may be different, but the lesson really is still the same. I want you to notice first that we are to set our hearts on Christ, that we're to set our heart on Christ. Think about the last time that you set your heart on something. It could be anything. It could be setting your heart on getting a specific job or entering a specific career or a calling or maybe finding a spouse or starting a family or looking ahead to retirement or just anything at all. And when I say something you set your heart on, I don't just mean something that you think about once or an idea that just pops in your head one day and you forget about it a week later. When you set your heart on something, it consumes all of your thoughts. It consumes your mind. It keeps you up at night. You're constantly planning and you're trying to figure out what you need to do in order to see this through completion. So really think about, think about when was the last time you set your heart on something. When we do this, when we actually set our heart on something, it changes us. It motivates us. It energizes us. When you set your heart on something, you know it's serious. It's not just something that you, know, you have a craving for one afternoon. It's something that you cannot rest until that desire is met. It's not just wanting to get a, a good burger or have a juicy steak or get a new phone because your phone that you have is getting old or getting a new car because your car is now you know, making some creaking sound. You can't figure out what it is and you need to get into something new. 
Something you set your heart on and motivates you in a whole different way. It puts a spring in your step. It makes your eyes shine. It keeps you laser focused on this specific objective. And it calls all, our, all of our attention to be fixed on what the desire of our heart is. Now, these are typically things that are quite life-changing. I remember a few specific instances in, in recent years where Ruthie and I, as a couple, have set our hearts on something and sought fervently uh, from the Lord for his will to be made known to us. When we prayed, for one, for God to give us our son, Elijah, we had Lily and we love her, but we wanted more children. And it seemed that the Lord was just closing the door and closing the door and closing the door. And we just couldn't get the desire out of our hearts. It was just there, like a, a nagging, uh, just would not let go. Even though it seemed that God was just closing one door and closing another door and just telling us flat out, you're only going to have one child. And we just couldn't stop praying. It just, we weren't satisfied with that door closed. Now, sometimes you can be fighting the will of God, uh, but we didn't feel that way. We didn't feel as if we were fighting the will of God. We just felt like it was not now, not now, not now. And that could be quite discouraging at times. But I remember as we sought the Lord, and it was years that we sought the Lord uh, over this. And, and finally, the Lord answered that prayer and gave us our son Elijah. And the Lord said, you know what, how about one more? And he gave us Levi, and we didn't even pray for him specifically. I mean, we, we prayed, God, if you have more children for us, we'll take them. Um, and one day, Ruthie came down for breakfast, and she said, how would you feel if I told you I was pregnant? And I said, don't joke with me. Are you pregnant? Because I, I don't want to give a wrong response here. This is a trap. But he gave us a Levi, and who knows, maybe there are more children coming down the line. But I remember how, how thrilled we were when we sought the Lord over this specific child, and it seemed years that went on, and no response, or the response was not yet, and then he finally answered it. Uh, we, we sought the Lord same when, uh, about two years ago, when we were praying about what the Lord was going to do for us as a family, whether he was going to move us here or keep us where we were. And that was a challenging time for us, because we were perfectly comfortable and content where we were. I was talking with someone recently about the whole transitional period and even all the prayer time leading up to when the Lord confirmed things for us that this is where we were going to be and, and how he confirmed it. I, I may have shared this with you, but I felt like Gideon a hundred times putting out the fleece. Lord, if this is really your will, here's the fleece, confirm it for me. Lord, don't be mad at me, but I'm coming back. I really want to be sure. Here's the fleece again. Make all the ground around it wet. Lord, I know Gideon only came twice, but I really want to be sure. And I must have done that a hundred times as Ruthie and I were praying about it. And no offense against you guys. We love you all now. Um, no, <laughs> I'm kidding. We didn't really know you, okay? So give us a little bit of slack. But we were very comfortable where we were. And we had been praying for the Lord to, to get us to where we were. And it just felt like we were just finally where we wanted to be after 10 years of being there and the things were really starting to get into a second gear and maybe even a third gear and the Lord says guess what I may be moving you and I put my foot in the sand and I said no way no uh, and he said you're gonna fight this but I'm gonna keep pushing and so we started praying and praying and praying and it just seemed that he was kept pushing us this way and we tried to do everything to prevent coming here. And again, nothing against you guys. We love you all very much, but we didn't want to go. And as we kept going and kept praying, the Lord just kept 
taking away every excuse that we offered and said, this is where you're going to be. And he has since confirmed that over and over and over again that this is the right decision. But there are just so many instances where we can think about setting our hearts on something that changes you as you seek the Lord for it. Uh, we, we, we prayed for all of these things, and each of these instances, again, didn't involve a single prayer. It wasn't as if we prayed once and said, okay, Lord, this is it, and show us what the will is. Uh, but we countlessly and, and numerous days prayed where our minds were just consumed with whether it was a desire for another child or wanting to know, Lord, what is your will for us uh, as far as the direction that our lives are going to take. Uh, each of us, each of us have had instances where we have set our hearts on something, and the thought has consumed us uh, until the Lord reveals to us what his will has for us. Sometimes difficult and trying circumstances lead us to set our hearts on something, whether it's the loss of a job, whether it's loss of a loved one, or whether it's a, a physical uh, a diagnosis, a health issue that comes on. Sometimes that forces you to now set your heart on something. God will often work in those trying times to refocus our hearts on where they need to be. You may be surrounded by sorrow, uh, but the best way to set your thoughts on something else is to get busy doing something physical. Our verse of the month, if you can remember back to May, now that we're almost into December, uh, verse of the month back in May was Proverbs 16, verse 3. Just out of curiosity, anyone remember what Proverbs 16, verse 3 is? Shame on you. Shame on you. Proverbs 16, verse 3. I, I bet if I start saying it, you'll probably catch on because it's actually a very familiar verse. It, uh, Proverbs 16, 3 says, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. A lot of times our minds can be consumed on things that are not productive but destructive. We're unable to move past difficult situations and, and sorrowful situations that we end up wallowing in misery and often slipping into depression where we get nothing accomplished. The best way to get yourselves out of such a rut is to get busy doing something for the Lord. Even if you don't know what specifically you need to be doing, find some area where you can get involved in ministry and make yourself physically tired working at it. I will admit, uh, being active uh, is, is important, and it, it, it's more than just being active. I mean, you, you can't, can't be passive about it. You need to actually get your hands physical and, and grow tired doing something. Uh, it, it's difficult at times to make yourself available, but you need to do it. Make yourself available and work on being a blessing to someone. Uh, there are many people, though, that prefer to wallow than actually serve. They'll acknowledge that they're in a place that they don't want to be, but they'll never actually do anything. And to use an illustration from this morning, the thought will arise, but they'll not actually themselves arise and go and do something and put legs to their thoughts as far as what they need to do to get out of the situation. Make yourself available and do the work, whether uh, some people who just enjoy the attention that they get whenever people see them, where they're discouraged and always looking sad and someone comes up to them, you know, what, what's going on? Can I pray for you? Some people just enjoy that attention. Or they feel as if they have built an excuse as to why they're never ready to get into the ministry. They act as if they need to work on themselves before they can be ready to do something any, any, uh, profitable for the Lord. 
The truth is, though, that no one who works on themselves is ever going to be able to bring about progress on their own. If you, if you ever expect to get better and move past difficulties and into something you know God wants you to do, you need to commit your works unto the Lord. You can do this while you're still trying to figure out what specific work God has called you to do. Just don't go and grow stagnant in ministry. Now, this can also be a double-edged sword because there are a lot of Christians that are quote-unquote busy in the ministry but are not centered on Christ. Church and ministry can easily become an obligation if we're not careful. That we just come and we know we have a specific duty, that we have a specific thing that we need to get done because no one else can do it the way we've done it. And it becomes more of a routine rather than an opportunity for us to grow and to mature and to edify those around us. And when that happens, there's no enjoyment in it for us. We, we come to church and it's more, okay, I need to be here because church needs me more than I need church. We're serving because things need to get done, not because we are actually delighting in serving the Lord through the gifts which he has blessed us with. And this is where we have to be careful because even those who start off serving for the right reasons can quickly shift into serving out of obligation and routine. It should never be the case that our service for God and the church is viewed that the church needs us more than we need the church. And this is why this passage here in Colossians 3 is so important because no matter where you find yourself at any point in the Christian life as far as how you're serving the Lord, there is a good reminder in these four verses for every single believer. Our sights need to always be focused on Christ in everything we do. It is important that we remain grounded on Christ above all else. We're not grounded on the church. We're not grounded on a pastor. We're grounded on Christ or else we're going to crumble. The way we do this is to remind ourselves of our position in Christ and what we have promised for the future. Look again at what it says here in verse number one of Colossians chapter three. It says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now the context is very clearly talking about believers. It says, If ye then be risen with Christ. The one thing that every single believer has in common is that we're all promised to be in heaven one day. It is good to remind yourself of that truth from time to time. Again, it's not something that you just found out today. It's not something that you're going to, if we took a poll, you're going to get wrong. Everyone's going to know this as a believer, that every believer is destined for heaven. But it's a good matter to remind yourself of this from time to time. You don't want to be, though, so heavenly minded, as the saying goes, that you're no earthly good. But remind yourself that this world is not your home. And as the song says, we're just a passing through. There's a glorious eternity that is waiting for you as a believer in the presence of the one who has saved you and made you complete. Let that truth comfort you in the difficult circumstances of life that leave you feeling as if the ground beneath your feet is crumbling because life isn't going the way you thought it was supposed to go. God doesn't want his children going through this life worrying, always feeling discouraged, going through prolonged seasons of doubt and depression. He wants us confident. He wants us bold. He wants us courageous. He wants us centered. He wants us grounded with every challenge that life brings our way. And this is possible when we're consistently reminding ourselves that we're in Christ and that we're destined for heaven. Seek those things which are above, the Bible says. Not the things of the world that are not going to last, but the things that offer eternal value. Now, the idea of seeking 
There in verse 1, it says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. That idea of seeking means to continually be doing this. This is why I said, set your hearts on Christ. When you set your heart on Christ, it's not just an idea you have for one day and then you forget about it the next. But it is what you have set as your goal for life. Keep seeking after Christ. Keep seeking after his word. Keep seeking a closer and a deeper and a more meaningful relationship with the one who has brought you salvation. Don't ever settle for what you get in a church service. Make your pursuit of Christ your ultimate heart's desire. When Christ is what your heart is set on, it'll bring balance and it'll bring stability to every other area of your life. Think about the way a compass works. Anyone ever used a compass before? Some of our phones are really cool where they just have the compass as one of the apps in the phone. Anyone ever used the, the compass on your phone before? Think about the, the way a compass works. A compass doesn't actually necessarily tell you where you're supposed to go or where you're going, but it helps you show the way you need to go. Even if you get lost and you can't remember which direction you originally came from or which direction you need to be heading, a compass will always point north. Always points north, as long as it's working correctly. In that way, it will help recalibrate your navigation so you know which direction you need to head. The same is true when we make Christ our true north, our desire, what we set our hearts on. When life has us rattled, when life has us all out of sorts, we can look to him and he'll guide us to where we need to be as long as our hearts are set on him. So set your heart on Christ. But second, set your mind on Christ. Now you may be thinking, wasn't well, that the same thing? Well, the Apostle Paul breaks, breaks it up here. Notice what he says in verse number two. Set your mind on Christ. He says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind on Christ. The command to set our affection on things above is quickly accompanied by the negative. It says, not on the things of the earth. Now, this should have us immediately questioning things of life. Paul wasn't saying that we shouldn't spend any time at all thinking about things on earth and only being thinking about things in heaven and angels and other beings that are going to be up there. He was saying that our ultimate concern, um, our ultimate concern, that the means by which we filter our thoughts and our concerns should be through Christ, the one who sits on the right hand of God. In other words, don't allow the physical to prevent you from doing that which is eternal. How many times have we not done something we felt God was calling us to do because we didn't feel like it? Or because we were too tired that day? Or because it wasn't a convenient time? Or because we would much rather be doing something else or just anything else? Now, speaking from experience, whenever I've allowed the physical to sway those things that are eternal, I've always come to regret it. How easy would it be to hit that snooze button one more time and get an extra seven minutes of sleep instead of waking up and doing your devotions? How easy would it be to sit back in church and never get involved even though the Holy Spirit has been whispering and just pushing at you to get busy doing the Lord's work? As believers, God has given all of us the ability to see that we're going into the physical or we're giving into the physical and often 
often we're, by doing that, we're suppressing that which is eternal. But we need to learn to give precedence to the things of God. There are plenty of times when God expects us to take care of the physical matters. After all, we're living as part of the physical world, and we have physical responsibilities that we need to take care of every single day. So it's okay to buy a car. It's okay to buy a house. But you're not setting your heart on these things. You're not setting your mind on these things that are going to get old and lose their value after time. We live in this earthly and this physical world, but as believers, we're destined for heaven, so our minds need to be constantly fixed on the reality that we're truly citizens of heaven. What happens when you go on vacation or you go out of town for a little while? Anyone recently go out of town? Anyone going to be going out of town some point in the next month? No one at all going away for vacation for Christmas? No one. Last year. Anyone go on vacation last year? Someone raise your hand. Okay. One person. Thank you. David, you and I will have a conversation. What was the last time? When, when, what happens when you go? You usually, if you're going to a hotel or you're, you're going to a cabin or wherever it is that you're going to be, where you're spending time, whether it's with your, your spouse or your entire family, whoever's there with you, you usually pack a suitcase and sometimes depending on how long you're going to stay, you'll just live right out of that suitcase. Or if you're going to stay for an extended period of time, You'll actually take the clothes out of the suitcase. You'll pack them into a dresser or whatever they might have in the room there. And you'll try and, and, and settle in as best as you can for the time being. And as nice as some of these places can be, it never quite feels like home, does it? Uh, we went on vacation back in August. And we, the kids really love going to the beach. And so I'm not a huge beach person because you always feel like you're tracking sand everywhere you go, and it's still in the car, I feel like, and, you know, months later. Uh, but the kids love it, so we go. And we actually stayed in a nice place, and the bed was actually very comfortable. But I remember telling Ruthie, I said, at some point, I don't know when, but when we have the means to do it, I said, you and I need to go on a vacation ourselves, because this is not vacation for me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, when Levi has to sleep right next to the bed that we're sleeping in, and he's waking up at all hours of night because the environment is all different. He's not used to it. Neither are the other two kids. It's just not as enjoyable. It's fun to get away and disconnect at times. And even as, as nice and as comfortable as the bed may be and the accommodations may be, some places have amenities that you never would have had at home. They may have an indoor pool. They may have a hot tub. Different things that you get to enjoy. We were a couple blocks from the beach, so that was a plus if you're a kid. Uh, and, and we enjoyed that. We took opportunities to, to enjoy what those amenities were that was offered at this place. But there is something about being back in your own home that no hotel or no vacation spot can ever top. Even if the hotel offered something better than what your home offers, being able to be back in your own bed, there's nothing like it, right? I, there is just, we stayed in hotels where we just raved about how comfortable the bed was or how wonderful the restaurant was that was attached to the hotel. And then we get home and it's just, it's so good to be home. And it's not a knock against the place, but there's just something that when you're away, you know it's not real and it's not what you're made for. Even though you may be having a good time while you're away, it's always in the back of your mind that this still isn't home. 
This is what Paul is telling the believers here in Colossae as far as what their mindset towards heaven ought to be. Again, verse number two, he says, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. He's reminding them what he's saying in verse number one. He says, you're risen with Christ. You have a heavenly home for you. Don't get too comfortable where you are. Because as wonderful as some of the amenities may be, and as great as some of the experiences you'll have here, have it in the back of your mind that what is awaiting you in glory is so much better. Don't settle in too much. Don't unpack that suitcase because what's waiting, what's waiting you in heaven is infinitely greater. He's reminding them to set their minds on Christ because even though they're settling their lives here on earth, again, they're living part of this physical world, they're eternally destined to be with Christ in heaven with all the fun and exciting things that we can be involved in here on earth, and there's plenty. Never forget that our ultimate enjoyment and our ultimate citizenship resides in heaven because this world is not the best that awaits us. May we learn to say, as the psalmist said in Psalm 73, verse 25, he says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. So setting our hearts and our minds on Christ it's not going to happen overnight. You can't just flip a switch and then you're there. But these verses here in Colossians 3, they offer us four ways, I believe, on how to get there. Four things for us to remind ourselves of. First, remind yourself of Christ's connection to you. Remind yourself of Christ's connection to you. I'm going to read the first four verses again. There are several instances where we see the word with up here. Focus in on these. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. In four verses... Three times the word with is used, and each of them describe our connection as believers to Christ or his connection to us. If ye then, it says, if ye then, in verse number one, if ye then be risen with Christ, it goes on to say in verse number three, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. The Bible teaches us that Jesus died for us, but he didn't just die for us on our behalf. He died in our place. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 22, it says, for as, in, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Adam was the personal embodiment of every single person's fall into sin. And Jesus is the personal embodiment of our salvation. All men may have died in Adam, but those who come to faith in Christ are resurrected in Christ. That's what he says. If you then be risen with Christ, there is a transformation that takes place within each single individual when they are saved. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 explains this. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In Christ, we are brand new creatures. We're not the same person that we were before we were saved. One day, Martin Luther received a knock at his door. 
And a voice after the knock and said, does Martin Luther live here? No, responded Luther from inside. He died. Christ lives here now, he said. Now think about how crazy that sounds. But it's really not as crazy as you think. There may be relics of that old man, that old nature, that unsaved person that you once were before you were saved that are still clinging to you and not wanting to let go. But when we're saved, we're brand new creatures in Christ. Remind yourself that you're risen with Christ and the connection that he has with you. Second, remind yourself that God is always in control. Remind yourself that God is always in control. Even though every believer knows God is always in control. If I took a poll and asked you, how many believe that God is in control? Always. Every hand would go up. Undoubtedly, we'd all say, of course he's always in control. We don't always live like we know that, though. If you were always aware that in every circumstance, God is always in control, show of hands, how many of you would, you, how many of you would worry? If you knew... God was always in control in every circumstance. You never doubted that. How many of you would ever worry? Okay, you either can't hear me or by not raising your hand, you're telling me that you wouldn't worry. And I'm going to go with that. How often would you be stressed? You wouldn't. How often would you panic? You wouldn't. How often would you fear? You wouldn't. The truth is that when you're constantly aware of God always being in control of every circumstance, even when you don't know how things are going to turn out, you can still be at peace because you know God's got it under control. Even if circumstances don't end up in your favor, or what you perceive as being in your favor. Because let's be honest, sometimes things don't end up in our favor, as at least what we think. And then we find out later on that it did end up in our favor, just not the way we expected it to be. But even if that happens, and if you know that God is still in control, your mind can be at ease knowing that God is still going to use this circumstance for your ultimate good. It's amazing how quickly we allow circumstances to dictate how high or how low a view of God we have. It's easy to have a high view of God when life is going great, when you're healthy, when you're strong, when there's no problems, when everything seems to just be humming along in perfect harmony. It's easy to see how he's always in control and he is all-powerful when every circumstance seems to be in your favor. But for some reason, we lose sight of that reality when circumstances change and things go from, in our eyes, favorable to unfavorable. We allow doubts to creep in, worry to consume us as we somehow think that maybe God has been knocked off his throne or is no longer in control or maybe he went on vacation and he's not as strong or as capable as we originally thought. Now, we may not say that, but that's what our actions are saying when we worry, when we panic, when we stress, when we get discouraged. Listen to how Paul prays for the Ephesian believers. In uh, Ephesians chapter 1, and verses 17 to 23, as he encourages them to always be mindful of God's all-sufficient power at all times. Ephesians 1, 
and verses 17 to 23, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Those verses tell us God has handed all authority, all power over to Jesus. He is powerful over everything, everything. And the power, it says, the exceeding greatness of his power is to us who believe. Let these words sink in to that thick head of ours. And then ask yourself, if God is really always in control, and if he is truly all-powerful, is there ever anything that our God cannot handle? Is there ever anything that we should ever worry about or be fearful over? God is and will forever be on his throne. Third, remember how much God cares for you. Remember how much God cares for you. Notice what we see in verse 3. It says, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. We are, it says, hid with Christ in God. The idea is that we are eternally secure with Christ. And I love that he throws in those last two words, in God. He keeps us, he preserves us for all eternity. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that Christ preserves me and doesn't leave me to have to preserve myself. He is our rock. He is our goodness. He is our fortress. He is our high tower. He is our deliverer, our shield, our, uh, the one in whom we trust, as Psalm 144 tells us. This is what this verse is telling us, Colossians 3.3, 3, that we are presently secure with Christ in God as believers. It is not that we will one day be secure when we finally make it to heaven, but our lives are presently hid, it says, with Christ in God from the very moment we believe on him. That doesn't mean that life is going to be problem-free, but in the midst of all the problems, in the midst of the raging storms, we can know that we are not alone. For as God was with the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, he is with us in the storms of life as well. Our security in life is not found in how much money we have in our bank account or in how much power we have or how much ability we have or how intellectual we are or in the government or in anything else but in our position with Christ in God where our lives are eternally kept. Throughout the years, every person, every institution has given us a reason to doubt their ability to stray true to their word, but that has never ever been the case with God and his word. God's plans may not always end up the way that we think, but God always does what is best for us because he cares for us more than what we truly realize. Even when life is going tough, never forget how much God cares for you. And fourth, this is the last one. Remember Christ's commitment to you. 
Remember Christ's commitment to you. Look at what we see at verse number four, Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. One of the blessings of being with Christ and in God is that we start to become more like Christ. This process is called sanctification, where God is, is daily making and molding believers more and more into the image of his son. But what this verse is telling us is that where, wherever we are in that process, maybe we're just saved, maybe we've been saved for 50 years, that when Christ shall appear, he says, the change that we'll undergo will be so intensified and so immediate and dramatic. Christ will appear in his glorified body and transform our bodies into glorified bodies as well. In Philippians 3, in verse 21, it tells us about what he will do. It says, of Christ, it says, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. I don't know about you, but Christ's promise of a glorified body, it sounds pretty good to me. I'm sick of getting sick. I'm tired of new aches and pains. I just celebrated a birthday yesterday. And I'm looking in the mirror and I'm thinking, you know what, it's time for an upgrade. Christ's commitment to us is to fit us for glorified bodies that'll be perfect in every way. Free from sickness, free from disease, free from age, free from decay. You know, the moment you're born, you start this withering process where your body just starts slowly withering away. Praise the Lord that our glorified bodies don't undergo any sort of change like that. This is the promise we have from him when he returns to bring us home. When your heart and your mind are set on Christ, it doesn't matter all the things that are happening around you. You will remain grounded. The economy could be crashing. Your finances could be drying up. Health issues may arrive. Relationships may be getting soured. Age may be creeping up on you. Your life may not be heading down the trajectory that you thought it should. Any number of things can be going on. But when you're grounded on Christ, Nothing will ever be able to rob you of the joy of the peace and the love and the comfort of Christ's presence. You will find that in all the craziness of life, you are always complete in Christ. Would you bow with me in prayer this evening? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the reminder of why it is important for us, for us Lord, to be setting our hearts and our minds on you. Lord, if we truly desire to, to be grounded, to be confident and stable, Lord, in this unstable world, help us to realize that it's only going to come as we set our hearts and minds on you. And Lord, that doesn't just involve us making a, a commitment to you one day and not following through, but Lord, making it a lifelong commitment to be diligent, to be faithful, Lord, to follow thoroughly as your word has instructed. May we do as, uh, Lord, these verses have instructed. Lord, may we remind ourselves of all of these things that these verses have reminded us of. Lord, may we just be students of your word that are always filling our hearts and minds with more of the knowledge of you. Lord, that we would be better prepared to serve you in this world that is so desperate and in need of hearing your truth brought forth. Use us as your instruments of grace and glory. Help us, Lord, to be those believers that are grounded upon your word and we're not wavering, 
Lord, for anything else that may come outside of your church and outside of these, uh, these truths that are taught in your word. We love you. We're so thankful for the fact that you are long-suffering toward us and that we have, indeed, our completion in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.